All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open again to uh, the book of John. John is the last of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book uh, in the New Testament. We're going closer to the end uh, than we've been so far, so John chapter 14. Just a few verses uh, we're going to look at this morning, verses 6 through 11. John 14, uh, 6 through 11. And for these 14 weeks, um, this series that we're doing is we're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. I am the door. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what we're looking at today, right? Those I am statements that he says in John and uh, the seven miracles that are recorded uh, in this gospel. So 14 weeks, a little over two-thirds of the way through, and we should wrap up here at the end of the month before, uh, before Advent kicks in at the end of next month. So, John chapter 14, verses 6 through 11, uh, even if you haven't grown up in the church, uh, you've heard these words before. Uh, Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And what, what I suggest this morning is that when we've heard this verse before in the past, it's usually been in the context of debate, right? Uh, someone has posed the question, you know, uh, is Jesus really the only way? to the Father, or are there multiple ways? And as a proof text, right, uh, Christians have said, and rightfully so in the past, well, that's not true because Jesus says in John 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what I I want to suggest this morning is that before um, this passage was a proof text uh, meant to end theological debates, uh, this passage was like a balm It was an encouragement to the disciples. It was meant to bring life and and hope where there was despair. Jesus has just told them that he's leaving. Uh, He's just told them that one of the disciples is going to betray him and that where he's going that they cannot go elsewhere. And it's in that context here in in chapter 14 that Jesus says, but fear not, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So first, before it ended theological debates, before it was a proof text, it was an encouragement, it was a balm, and I hope to show you that. Uh, Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is John 14, verses 6 through 11. Jesus said to him, being Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me take a seat. I want to read a couple lines uh, from an article that appeared in the New York Times back in January of 2018. So this article is not yet three years old, okay? And uh, New York Times, and here's what the, uh, the title of the article says. The UK, United Kingdom, appoints a minister for loneliness. I think I've, I've, I've referenced this article before. Okay, so this is, you know, UK. Uh, they appoint a minister, a high cabinet member, 
uh, a leader and authority for loneliness. And here's what the uh, Prime Minister Theresa May says. She says, I want to confront this challenge, this challenge of loneliness uh, for our society and for all of us to take action to address the loneliness endured by the elderly, by people with strenuous careers, by those who have lost loved ones, people and people have no one to talk to or share their thoughts or experiences with. As she goes on to say, loneliness is for health than smoking 15 cigarettes a scientists have proven that. One other uh, comment here, uh, the article says near the back, says that their local government research has found that about 200,000 older people in Britain have not had a conversation with a friend or a relative in more than a month, more than a month. And, and so what they actually did in, in London was they set up these, these hotlines and these phone numbers so that if people were experiencing loneliness, they'd actually call in and talk to someone and engage with someone and just have, have conversation. Uh, and someone actually has a job uh, in, in high parliament in, in, in the UK, I mean, this is their title, I'm the Minister of Loneliness. That tells us something, doesn't it? Okay, so that's, that's the UK. Uh, what about here more locally? Uh, I did some poking around this week. Um, you know, social media is, is, is funny because by design it's meant to connect people, right? It's meant to bridge relationships. It's meant to curb loneliness in some ways, but it's actually done the exact opposite. It's, it's actually distanced more people. That's my, at least my assumption, proposition, is that it, it's, it's, it's harmed more than it's helped, uh, at least with relationships and with loneliness. But here's what, here's what cracked me up, is you can find groups locally and nationally, uh, groups uh, that are designed uh, to curb loneliness. So these are groups that you can join on social media, right, if you are feeling lonely or alone or isolated or separate. And as another side note, I was looking through iTunes this week. You know what the number one song on iTunes this week was? Uh, Justin Bieber. His song is called Lonely, right? Now, not to knock any believers in the room, okay? If you love Justin Bieber, cool. That's great. But, but even, you know, you know, a popular artist, you know, number one song is a song about him feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling by himself. And that struck a chord with a number of people. It's, it's the number one song in the United States this past week. Uh, what are all these stories telling us about ourselves? Um, when, we, when we're coming to, to grips with understanding what, what the true nature of Christianity is, is this. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not things you need to do. Nor is it a lifestyle. Uh, particular patterns or behaviors you need to express. At the heart of Christianity is a relationship, is a connection of, of two parties, Christ and His church, Jesus and His sheep, relationship between people. So, in other words, to be a Christian is, is by definition not to be alone, is not to be, is not to struggle with loneliness or isolation. By definition, a Christian is someone who's in relationship primarily with Jesus and then His, his people, right? His church. That's not always the case, right? Uh, I want to look at three things uh, this morning and prepare to be blown away with my creativity, okay? <laughs> three points are this. <laughs> you, see how some people are laughing as they looked ahead. Three points are this, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I want to look at those three things. Uh, so first, let's look at uh, the way. 
When Jesus says, I'm the way, what does he mean? Well, here's what we tend to think Jesus means when he says, I'm the way. We tend to think he means he knows the way. Uh, he is informed. More than anybody else, Jesus knows the way to the Father, right? And, you know, when you look at, like, Old Testament prophets, uh, these men who were saying, you know, don't look at me, don't look at what I'm doing, but look at God, refocus on Him. I'm pointing you to God, our Father who is in heaven. Uh, Jesus is just another prophet like we've had in the Old Testament. He knows the way. He's informed. I mean, even Jesus Himself said, remember when we studied Jonah last summer? Jesus said, you know, when people were asking for a sign, He said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, that Old Testament prophet. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, I'm going to go into the belly of the earth for three days. He even compared himself uh, to an Old Testament prophet by name, right? We think it means that Jesus just knows the way. We also think uh, that Jesus means he's, he's like a guide. So there is a way, and Jesus uh, is, is, is someone who kind of leads us like a shepherd on the correct way, right? I mean, after all, Jesus did tell his disciples, uh, you know, leave your nets, uh, leave your jobs, and uh, come follow me, right? Uh, he did uh, ask these, these men and these disciples uh, to follow him uh, as a guide. So, when we hear Jesus saying, I'm the way, uh, typically that's, that's what we think, but is that what he really means here in this passage? And, and what I'm going to do with these three points is I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it's, it's more than that, but it's not less than that. Does Jesus know the way? Absolutely. Is Jesus a guide and a shepherd? Absolutely, but it's more than that. But at the same time, not less than that. He is those things, but he's more. When Jesus says, I am the way, what is he telling us? And how is this encouraging? How is this a balm uh, to the disciples? And how can it be that way uh, to us? Think about this again, big picture. Other religions say doing is the way. Other religions say thinking a particular uh, way is the way. Christianity says, no, the way is actually a person. The way is a relationship. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, referrals are the worst, right? Especially medical referrals. Uh, you've got something, it's, it's not so severe that you need to go to the ER, uh, but it's, it's more serious enough that you just, you know, your, your ordinary everyday doctor can't tackle it. But you just can't walk into a specialist's office, can you? What do you have to do? Uh, you have to go to your primary care first, and that, and that doctor then has to refer you to somebody else. Right? You can't go directly to him. You have to go through your primary care physician. Christianity is the same way. If you want the Father, it's like a referral. You have to go through Jesus. He is the only way. He is the way. Not only is, is the way a person, but the way is personal. And, and, and some of us are beginning to kind of squirm in our seat because we're going, okay, it's not just what you know, it's not just what you do on the outside, but it's a personal interaction between you and Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. Here's what that means. There's, there's, a, there's a subtle compliment here, and, and see if you have ears to hear it. Here's what Jesus is saying by saying that I am the way. The way is a person and the way is personal. What he is saying is, is the God of all creation, the one who has, has, has always existed, who never had a beginning and who will never have an end, wants to befriend you. 
wants to know you, wants to be on intimate terms with you, wants to be a better friend to you than your bestie, wants to be closer to you than your spouse, more akin to you than your twin. Jesus, God, who spoke everything to it in existence, is saying, that's the kind of relationship I want to have with you. I am the way. To get to the Father, you have to come through me. We have to know each other. There's going to be personal relationship. The way is a person and is personal. If you want a relationship with the Father, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. There aren't any strangers in the Father's house. Now, that sounds warm. That sounds fuzzy. Uh, we like that. Most of us know that. But here's the showstopper. Here's what causes us to tap the brakes or serves as an obstacle in our relationship with Jesus. If Jesus finds out who I truly am, if he knows the truth about me, this relationship is over. Because we've all experienced that before. Once people have gotten to know you, if you're not cool enough, they dump you. If you don't have enough similarities, they dump you. We all have experience with being left and with relationships being broken. If Jesus knows who I truly am, if he knows the truth, will he still want to know me? Will he still love me? Jesus is not only the way, but he says he's also the truth. Here's what we think this often means uh, and how, how we often act, okay? When Jesus says, I am the truth, what we think he means is that he knows a lot of truth, right? Uh, all of us have a divine spark. All of us have, you know, uh, some level or amount of wisdom, but, but Jesus has the most. Jesus has, has got the most. He has the most divine spark of all of us, Right? Uh, but not only that, uh, we also think it means that maybe Jesus um, is the great teacher of the truth. Sometimes when we say things were wrong, we're incorrect, we make errors. And everything Jesus says, he's truthful, and he's trustful, and he's reliable. And, and like the last point, it's, it's, it's more than this, but not less than this. Yes. Does everything Jesus say, uh, is that true? Can we bank on that? Uh, is Jesus the kind of Savior that we can go all in on and be okay with? and come out on the other side, okay, absolutely. He knows the truth. Um, remember all those stories in the Gospels where Jesus is interacting with other people, uh, and Jesus is reading their minds? He knows what they're thinking. He knows the truth, yes, but it's more than that. What, what is Jesus really saying when he's saying, I am the truth, that the truth is a person? It's not an idea. Uh, it's not a collection of actions. The truth is a person. Uh, think about this. Think about a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 10 being classy and, and good, and 1 being tactless and cruel, okay? Uh, you're in a relationship with somebody, and they break up with you over email. Classy, tactful, or tactless and cruel? That's, that's down towards this end, right? Not a trick question. There's some information that is so personal, um, and, and that is... Um, that is so dear to us that it's, it's got to be communicated personally, right? We appreciate that, right? Uh, the, the greater the wealth of information, the more important the information, the better it is to do that in person, right? And, and one, of the, the, one of the aspects or the facets of the good news of Jesus Christ is that, you know, he's not just yelling from heaven, here's what you got to do. Don't be stupid, right? And here's the Ten Commandments. But he sent truth, in bodily form, in the form of his Son, in whom there is no error, no flaw, in word, thought, or deed, truth is a person. 
Jesus Christ. And here's why that is important. And let's take, let's just take forgiveness uh, as, as an example. It's one thing to tell somebody and to communicate verbally, uh, you're forgiven, right? At the very least, we're supposed to do that. The gospel does that. Old Testament and New Testament, that God is a forgiving God. And He declares uh, that you are whiter than snow and gives us assurances in the Scriptures and that you are truly forgiven. But if you're a human being, and if you're red-blooded, and if you have a heart, it's one thing to be told you're forgiven, but it's another thing to be embraced as you're forgiven. I mean, think about the disciples. Um, in, in a few chapters, Jesus and His disciples are going to be in the upper room. It's getting really, really close to Jesus' crucifixion and His trial. And Jesus takes off His outer garments, wraps a towel around His waist, and gets a basin of water and goes around to each of the disciples and begins to wash their feet. And what we know that maybe they didn't understand then, but we know now is that uh, these hands, these hands that crafted this world, are the same hands that are now touching the disciples' feet. These are holy hands. Truth is a person touching, washing, communicating, purifying action and forgiveness to these people. It kind of brought the point home, right? It's one thing to say, you're forgiven. It's another thing to say, let me wash your feet. Or you think about uh, the woman who was caught in adultery and there's a mob that has surrounded her with stones in hand uh, they're ready to um, execute capital punishment on her, and standing between her and her judges is Jesus. And he says, there are no stones, and I cast not any of them. Go and sin no more. I forgive you. It's one thing to say you're forgiven. It's another thing to stand between the judge and say, I forgive you with my voice, with my hands, and with my actions. See, philosophies, uh, Christian philosophy or truths can't hug you. Um, a Christian lifestyle, if, if Christianity is reduced, reduced just to things you do and, and ways you perform, um, those things can't embrace you. A person embraces you. A person can kiss your brow. A person can hug you and say, not only do I say you're forgiven, let me show you you're forgiven. Truth is a person. It doesn't just contain truth. It doesn't just say truth. He embodies the truth of the gospel to you in word and, and in deed. One writer said, at the heart of this truth uh, is this, that Christ is Christianity, that Jesus narrates God. I love how simple that is and how profound it is. When you look at Christianity, it's Christ. It's a person and you look at everything that God has said, every truth that God has revealed, Old Testament, New Testament, you see it narrated in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you you're forgiven, but let me show you. He's the way, the truth. And then lastly, he says, I am the life. And like the last points, here's what we think that means. And here's how we often act when we think about Jesus being our life. One idea is this, that Jesus is going to help me live my best life now. He's going, to, he's going to take you know this life, this earthly life that I have between now and the grave, and he's just going to make it slightly better than I deserve, right? That's why Jesus says he is the life. Or that in Jesus' life, 
that in his 33 years of public ministry, he is going to show us what the perfect, holy, blameless, flawless life looks like. And again, like the other points, those are all true. Um, But it's more than that, not less than that, it's more than that. Yes, uh, Jesus was perfect in his life. Everything he did was right and good in faith in the Father. And yes, he wants to help us live a good life now, but it's more than that, not less than that. It's more. What does it mean when Jesus says, I am the life? It's this. He's saying your life centers and revolves around an axis right now. Some of you know what it is, and some of you don't. So that axis that your world spins on that determines your everyday behavior, what you think, what you feel, what you do, I want to be that axis. I want to be your life. I want to be your reason of existence. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What fuels your work? What energizes you at school? What brings you joy in your friendships, in your relationships? I want that reason, that axis to be me. In other words, he doesn't just want to be your, your, your means, your road, your path. He wants to be your ends as well, your means and your ends. He wants to be your life. But we struggle uh, with that uh, because we're broken and our life is born askew. Uh, typically, at the center of our life, our axis, it's the self. It's ourselves. And if Christianity is, is just, this, um, just this lifestyle of do's and don'ts, if, if Christianity is just this collection of truths that we just kind of mentally uh, assent to, uh, typically what we do with this pattern that we're seeing here with Jesus being the way, the truth, and life is we get it backwards. And here's how a Christianity that's just centered around do's and don'ts, that's just centered around thoughts, looks, and acts, it gets this pattern backwards. It gets the order wrong. It says, I want to do work for God, but not from God. I want to do work for God, but not from God. You see that? Uh, To reduce Christianity just to an idea, a philosophy, or worldview is to say, um, is to acknowledge that, hey, there's a God out there, and I want that God to be my life. So everything I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to pray about it. Uh, I'm going to put crosses on everything. Uh, I'm going to say and quote biblical things. And then if I do that, uh, Jesus is going to look on me and see someone who's devout. And he's going to see someone who is energized and passionate about uh, Christianity, or at least what we think Christianity is. And then what would Jesus say? You, my son, or you, my daughter, you're on the way. Uh, You've got it, right? Do you see how we just flip the order? If I can make Christ my life, if I can can adorn my life with with Christian things, if I can do the right things, if I can say the right things or, or believe the right things, then maybe I'll be brought in. But underneath that, do you, do, you, do you see what you're saying to God and others? Is, is you're saying is that Jesus doesn't need to be my way. I need to be my way. I can get me there. I don't need Jesus to do that. I can find life. I can put myself on the way. But the life is a person. It's a relationship. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just a list of ideas that we agree with or disagree with. It's a person and a personal interaction uh, with him. He's our axis. Uh, I want to look at, uh, lastly, I want to look at this exchange uh, with Philip, uh, and then I want to apply this passage in a couple ways. Um, so, 
Let's look at these last couple verses here, um, this exchange between Jesus and Philip. There's a request by Philip, and then there's an answer by Jesus. And both of these, the, the request and the answer, are remarkable, uh, but in different ways, okay? So look back at your text real quick. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, uh, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus just got done saying, hey, the Father and I are one. If you see me, you've seen the Father. That's how one we are. That's how united we are. One God, three persons, the Father and I, we are one. And Philip says, yeah, but, you know, just, just hook us up. I'm paraphrasing here. This is your pastor paraphrase. Hook us up, man. Just give us a quick glimpse of the Father. Let us just see that nod, that wink, that signal, and you've got us, and, we're, and, and, and I'm in. A remarkable statement. Why is that remarkable? Uh, because we're in John chapter 14, right? There have been 14 chapters of miracles, doings, sayings, teachings. Uh, Philip watched Jesus turn the water into wine. Uh, Philip watched Jesus heal the Roman's son uh, from 20 miles away with just a word. Uh, Philip watched Jesus, you know, spit into mud, and he's probably looking at, you know, his brother and the other disciples going like, what is he doing? And he rubbed that mud on that man's eyes, and that man was given sight. He saw, you know, just a few loaves and and fish uh, turn into a meal for over 10,000 people, maybe closer to 20,000 people with leftovers. Uh, Philip is not coming to Jesus out of a vacuum. He's seen incredible miracles. He's heard incredible things. He's seen more things uh, in in his short life than you and I have seen in some ways, and firsthand. And he's still not in. He still doesn't believe. It's a remarkable statement. Jesus responds and says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? You still don't know me. Now, one writer puts this exchange uh, this way, and it is, it is stuck in my mind this week, and I want to leave it with you. Um, I've, I found this incredibly helpful, and I hope you do too. It's this. I'll say it, and then I'll repeat it. Some things to be truly known and to be truly experienced, uh, you have to be in. Uh, they have to be experienced from the inside, not from the outside. In other words, Christianity, this, this, this religion that we profess, because it is centered around a person, the axis is a person, it's Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There are some things you are not going to know about the gospel. You're not going to know about Jesus until you're in. And you can walk around the perimeter of the church. You can walk around the perimeter of the kingdom and make all the assumptions you want. But there's some things you're not going to know. There's some things you're not going to experience and truly know and truly believe until you're on the inside. And you say, ha ha, I know what you're up to, pastor. You're trying to trick me to get me into the church, to get me into Christianity. <clears throat> we do this with everything else. I mean, think about the first time, remember back the first time you bought a house? Or imagine um, the first time you're purchasing a house or an apartment. What do you do? You go over it with a fine tooth comb, right? You want to know, um, you know, the good parts about the house. You want to know what's going on behind the walls. You want to know everything that's going on with the property, everything that's going on with the building. Why? Because you want to make an informed decision. But at some point, is, it, is this not true? You cannot know everything about the house until you move in. You don't know about that squeaky hinge on the door in the back. You don't know about the creaky 
um, you know, spot in, in the carpet because the floorboard's loose underneath. You're not going to find out certain things about that house until you're in it and you're living it and you're engaging with it. Christianity, your relationship with Jesus is the same way. There's some things you are not going to know until you're in because it's a person, because it's a relationship. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's not a collection of do's and don'ts. It's a relationship. It involves knowing and being known. We do this with people, right? Before you get into business with someone or before you marry someone, you want to know them as well as you can, but can you fully know them? No, you can't. You can't until you actually get into the relationship, into the marriage, into the crucible with them, into poverty with them, into hardship with them, and then the true person comes out, right? Christianity is the same way. There's some things you can know about it from the outside, but if you have questions, those questions are welcome, but they're best answered in Him, from Him, through Him, by Him. So some of us, when we're looking for that assurance, that truth, that I truly am forgiven, I know it. I know it's true. I know what the Bible says. I know what the church says. It's true, but I don't feel truth. You know why? Maybe you're not in. Maybe you and Jesus aren't talking. You aren't sharing. There isn't a relationship. Christianity is just still an idea. It's still a philosophy to you. It's not a relationship. At the heart, it's a relationship. Uh, a couple of things I want us to try uh, this week, um, and they're going to sound normal, but with a slight uh, twist. You know, every application of every sermon is pray more, read your Bible more, right? Every pastor says it. You want to experience Jesus more, you want, you want to sense Him, feel Him, then, then listen to Him. You know, read the Bible more, pray more, yes, but with a twist. And next time you open your Bible, next time you, you sit down to read, don't make it an academic exercise, but, you know, stick your finger in the spot where you're, you're going to read, close it, and just say, Jesus, I need to hear from you. As I'm running my fingers over, you know, each of these letters, these paragraphs, these stories, would it be as if you were speaking to me personally, into my hear, ears, into my heart, and into my will? Would it be like I'm listening to you and your instruction, your wisdom, you're my teacher, I'm your follower, you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life? Help me submit to it, right? There's some beautiful prayers. Gosh, I, I wish I could show you the catalog of prayers. They're called prayers of illumination that church fathers have prayed before they even cracked the Bible, before they even opened it to study to prepare for sermons. It's, Lord, refresh me with this. Let me hear this anew. Let me hear from you. I'll let this be just another expression, another form of our communion and fellowship and relationship with each other. These prayers of illumination. So don't just open your Bible and don't just read it, but listen as if God himself is speaking to you. And, and the second is, is this. Uh, if you've ever been in a relationship with someone where they do all the talking, um, that's not really a relationship, is it? Uh, those relationships are hard. Uh, and the same is true uh, for prayer. Um, yes, prayer is talking to God, but at the same time, it's also listening, right? Like any relationship. On the one hand, yes, there are times where you do the talking, you do the speaking, you do the initiating, but other times it's good to sit and listen, to be quiet, uh, to read through the Psalms and say, what do I need to hear? Uh, underline something for me in my heart before I underline it with my pencil. What do, I need to, what do I need to hear from you today? 
and give yourself um, moments, chunks of time where you're either going through the Ten Commandments or some of the promises in the Old and New Testament, but to say, what do I need to hear about these things? Where am I at fault? Where, what are my shortcomings? Do you talk to me, right? Relationships are built off of, off of reciprocity, off of talking and listening, listening and talking. The same is true of our Lord. So don't just, you know, pray. Pray more, pray fervently, but spend more time in quiet meditation. Spend time listening. Um, in Acts chapter 9, Christians were seen as, as so united, so in fellowship, so in relationship with Jesus that Saul, who would then become Paul, uh, when he was persecuting the church, he called them members of the way. Even though Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Saul was so threatened by their relationship with Jesus, he associated them with Jesus by calling them the way. He persecuted people who were belonging to the way. How did that come to be? Friends, this gap, this way uh, between, uh, between the Father and between us was shut. It was broken by our rebellion, by our sin, knowingly and un- un- unknowingly, until Jesus came along and said, I'm going to be your way. The only way to get from A to B is through me, through personal relationship. But he's also kind enough to tell us the truth that you're spiritually dead, and dead people can't walk, dead people can't talk. Uh, I'm not here to hold your hand and and walk you through to the Father. I'm here to throw you over my shoulder, you who are a lifeless corpse, and I will take you to the Father, and He'll reanimate you. That's the truth. We're all dead in our sins, spiritually, because we've rebelled against God and the way He's created this world. But He said, but if you're a part of the way, and we have a personal relationship. You've trusted me to be the way and the truth. You will also have life. This is the anxiety of Peter and the disciples and the apostles. Jesus was leaving. Their lifeline, their, their source of truth was leaving, but he said it's temporary. Why? Because I go to prepare a place for you. And this is the same Jesus who after three days came back and appeared to the disciples who ate with him. There's something different. He had a new body. He's showing us that glorified life. Though I'm going, though I'm leaving you, it's for a really good reason. It's to bring you eternal life. And he showed it to us. He let the disciples come and touch and to see. He ate a fish sandwich with Peter. This body is real. This new life is real. But it's a relationship, right? The way is a person, the truth is a person, the life is a person, and it's personal. That's how it's designed. Let's help keep it that way. Amen? Let's pray together. Good Father, we know that when we pray, these aren't just bouncing off the ceiling or going up into the air, but they reach your ears. And you take such great delight to hear your children And you love to hear us pray in your Son's name because uh, we know that there is no other way. And we come on on His record, and we come on His goodness, on His ticket, um, because we know that we were lifeless and empty and dead and, 
and He's brought us back to life and given us a new record so we can stand before You. Father, there are so many things that we center our life around that are not You. Strip those from us and be kind in doing so and replace those idols, those things that we love more than You with Yourself. Give us a love for You, and not just outwardly, but inwardly. Uh, help us to stand in awe of You. Help our hearts to swell at what You've done for us. Um, help our hearts to swell because first, Your heart swelled for us, and You were merciful, and You were kind, and You didn't leave us in this darkness, but You gave us new life. Help us to believe that and act like it and celebrate it, and all because of Jesus, and in His name we pray. Amen.